a St. Louis legend, Dan Dirkholz, DaleWileyShow.com. So now I'm talking to Dan Dirkholz. And so, Dan, tell me about Washington, Missouri. Oh, about Washington, Missouri. Well, <laughs> gosh, yes. what, what do you want to know? Uh, well, it's, I don't uh, know. It's, I mean, I guess the most famous thing about it is it's the, it's the corn cob pipe capital of the world. Really? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there's a factory there, a museum there, uh, uh, made famous by people like Douglas MacArthur and and the likes. Uh, if uh, if you have uh, uh, have a, a corn cob pipe somewhere in a drawer, chances are it came from Washington, Missouri. So, uh, but no, it's uh, I mean it's a great little town. Uh, you know, I always say great place to uh, have grown up and uh, and to be from. Uh, small town, you know, it's a, uh, uh, what, about 50 miles from, uh, from St. Louis. Right. Um, I guess a lot of people commute from, uh, from there to, uh, jobs in St. Louis, but largely it's a, you know, it's a self-contained town and, uh, yeah, grew up there. My parents had a couple of, uh, small businesses there and, uh, where I worked, uh, for many, many years through high school and college. And uh, yeah, I had a terrific time growing up and uh, going to going to school there. Well, and of course that led you to St. Louis eventually. And so, tell me about your career as a critic. Well, gosh, um, you know, I I, um, I kind of, after college I went between a couple of different things. I, I was uh, sort of the idea was that I was going to be I wanted to teach English. Uh-huh. And uh, I did do some teaching at, uh, at a couple of junior colleges and, uh, and also continued to work for my parents. I'm an only child. And the right. question was, was I going to take over those businesses? Uh-huh. Um, but, but as in, uh, and, you know, so I spent a couple of years trying to answer that and working there and really deciding if I wanted to do that. And ultimately I didn't because like so many businesses in small towns, you know, eventually the big guys move out to, uh, you know, the, the smaller towns like that. And, of course, you know, you've got your, your Walmarts and, uh, uh, you know, large uh, chain stores and Targets out there now. And, right. uh, you know, I just saw that that was not a viable future, that eventually they would come and just eat my lunch. Uh, right. and, uh, and I think that is eventually true. The people who, you know, eventually uh, bought into those businesses are now gone uh, for, for largely for that reason. Um, so uh, I tried to go a different direction, kind of which was a direction that I wanted to go in to begin with, because I always loved writing. I always loved right. uh, journalism. Uh, you know, through high school, I did all that in college, school newspaper and stuff like that. But I never studied journalism. I was always uh, I always studied uh, English and, and literature. Um, so I was kind of torn between those things as well. Um, and then it's simply because I got a job at the Riverfront Times. It was not really a, it was not really a writing job. It was the the calendar. I was the calendar editor, so I was punch. Um, and and this is back when that was that was kind of a it was a hard job in terms of uh, just the volume of stuff coming in. All the uh, you know there were so many events and uh, personal notices and stuff like that, and so it involved a lot of like typing to the point where I was starting to get carpal tunnel. Um, and, and then, you know, they, the, the folks who, uh, who, well, my boss is there, they knew that I uh, loved music and that I knew a lot about music and had written about, uh, music in, in college and so forth. 
So they finally said, you know, do you want to give it a shot? Do you want to, uh, you know, do a feature or something like that? And and uh, so I I did, and I guess the results uh, spoke for themselves because they gave me a column, right? And uh, you know, it kind of developed from there. So, uh, you know, I went I went uh, I worked at the Riverfront Times for uh, for three years, and that was you know it was a lot of fun. Um, although I was, I mean, all of that time I wasn't solely a writer i was largely just a, a, an editor as well and right. uh, and occasionally i could drop in some features or uh, or a music column um right. but you know so my my uh i was kind of divided uh, between those duties uh at that time and that's yeah. kind of how it started anyway at the, at the riverfront times and then i you know went on from there right but now next i need to know how are you in the morels video how did that happen <laughs> Well, okay, so that's long. That's long before um, before any of this took place. Um, with uh, with the Morels, I uh, I I probably started seeing them. I don't know, maybe probably by 1980 or so. I can't right. remember exactly when they became the Morels, but right um, before that. Yeah, well, a good friend of mine, a guy named Jerome Pyrick, uh, who went to Mizzou. Was uh, was a big Morels fan, and he would see them at the Blue Note. And he's from here in St. Louis, so uh, you know we would we would see them. I would go visit him, and we'd, we'd see him at the Blue Note, uh, or here in town, we would right. see them at Heartbreak Hotel or um, uh, Fourth and Pine, I think, maybe maybe Mississippi Nights at that time. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know, uh, I guess he kind of knew Lou better than I did, and probably made the introduction and you know so we would oh and i i can't forget the great grizzly bear uh where my friend uh my friend neil thompson was uh the owner there and and often had them for uh new year's eve so anyway uh you know just got to look no blue or time and and the other guys too and uh and so when it came time that they were doing this video i think he must have extended an uh, a uh, an invitation to Jerome if okay. he wanted to be in this. I can't remember exactly, but I think <laughs> that's how it went. Um, and so Jerome said, "Hey, do you want to you know you want to drive down to Springfield and be in this thing?" And I thought, "Well, that you know that sounds pretty weird, so let's do that." <laughs> and then it turned out uh, Neil was in that was in the video too. The, those were really the only guys that I knew in there. Other folks in the video were all. I guess you know people from elsewhere, from around the right. state, and uh, from Springfield, and and whatever. But uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, we we went down there. I had never been to Reds before. I mean, I hadn't been to Springfield that many times, right. probably. And um, but you know, I, I I knew the album and I knew the song and everything. And but it was it was such a weird experience. And you know. Um, uh, anybody you know, remaining from the band could tell you better than than me what exactly happened because you know we were just extras in the video so I wasn't really privy to what was going on but my memory of it is that the guy who was going to direct the video like didn't show up or something <laughs> like that so I think it was like an assistant or somebody you know somebody just shot the thing. And the the thing I remember most about it was that we were given like no direction whatsoever. You know, we just kind of <laughs> we just kind of did whatever. And for people right. who don't know me, who might be listening to this, if you see the video, <laughs> if you see the video, 
I'm in a I'm in a red Hawaiian shirt. Yes. And and the point where I crop up is when Lou comes over to our booth and he he sings the line, uh, I hang around with the West Side bunch. And <laughs> and so the only direction the guy said was, okay, so you guys just kind of like bop around to the music. You know, videos back then, videos were so literal. You right. know, like whatever was happening in the lyric, that's what happened in the video. They hadn't become like more abstract or anything yet. And uh, and so, yeah, so we were just sitting at the tables as if we were eating in the diner. And, and so they said, just kind of bop around back and forth. So, and and also, so what I was doing was just kind of like swaying and swinging my head from one way to the other, one way to the other. And and nobody stopped and said, hey, you in the red shirt, you look stupid doing that. <laughs> and and I don't know how many takes there were, you know, maybe a couple. But anyway, so in the finished product, I'm doing this. And the band for years after that, I think it was probably uh, Bobby Lloyd Hicks who did this to me, um, do you know the Peanuts character? Yeah. He's called he's called Five. You right. see him in videos where they're dancing, and he's right. just kind of doing that thing, moving his head from one side to the other, one side to right. the other. And and so for years, every time they would see me, especially Lloyd and I think Joe and de- and definitely Lou too, would do uh-huh. that dance every time they would see me. So <laughs> I, I I actually occasionally use Five, the character Five, as a Facebook. Uh, right. Avatar, exactly. occasionally, uh, just kind of, uh, kind of. Uh, that's my own very obscure tribute to Lou. <laughs> um, but we had a great time. We had, you know, um, Red w- was just, uh, you know, what card he was, and uh, and the, you know, the video is well, it is what it is. But I mean, I think it's kind of a classic now. But at the well, time, yeah. I was like, oh, at the time, I was kind of like, oh my God, that is that is a piece of work. <laughs> But, um, you know, and anyway, it was a great time. Yes. Well, talk about Lou. What did he mean to you? I'm sorry? What did Lou mean to you? Um, You know, well, a couple things. One is, um, I, you know, I was never as good of friends with those guys as a lot of people right. have been over the years. I was always a little bit on the outside of that, and that was largely by my own choice. Uh, because I'm a journalist, you know, I I always hesitate to become too close to people that I wind up having to write about. Sure. And I'm a little bit I'm a little bit old. I know that's not everybody's view of things, and some people, you know, they tend to let their guard down a little bit. But I'm kind of old school in that regard. Uh, it's kind of like sports writers have a uh, a rule: no cheering in the press box. Right. You know, and and that's kind of the way I am. But, I mean, you know, Lou was definitely, like, kind of, I mean, he was such a, a sage. Obviously, you know, he had so many sayings that he'd uh, either gathered or came up with over the years. Yeah. He always seemed to have the right one for the, for the, right, uh, yeah. for the right situation. <laughs> and, you know, he just, uh, I mean, he was, he was such a, uh, you know, encyclopedia of, of rock and roll knowledge. And, yeah. and I mean, the thing that I found so valuable was that he helped guide so many careers, you know, as right. a producer or just, you know, somebody who was willing to give free advice to, you know, just about anybody. 
So, um, you know, now as, as the years go by, I regret not getting to know him better than I did. Um, I feel like some of my friends were, were much closer to him uh, than I was. But, you know, I, I definitely got my, my time with him, uh, but it was largely while I was, you know, doing, doing stories about, about the band or about, about him. Right. And I'll tell you, there were two, two times when I did that, um, both of when I was still at the Riverfront Times. I, I, was, I was there between, like, 89 and 92, uh, so I'm not sure exactly when these stories hit, but one of them was largely about the, was about the skeletons at that point, um, and uh, and then um, and that was kind of like the history of the band as best right. as best as it could be told because it's so <laughs> convoluted and so you know they did this and then they were that band and then they you know I mean because they were just musicians trying to get work you know right. And then the other one was, and this was one of my favorite experiences uh, as a journalist. Um, I, I went to Springfield when Dave Alvin went down there uh, to meet with the band because right. they were going to back him on tour, which wound up being a, a pretty long relationship, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so I was kind of a fly on the wall why, when they uh, this was at uh, Column One Studio where Lou worked before he uh, got you know the studio downtown uh-huh. and at Column One. So I, and I don't know if they had ever met before, but you know I was basically there from the minute that Dave walked in and opened his guitar case and they started playing, and you know it was just it was fascinating because I had never seen that kind of interaction before. How you know Dave was just. Uh, you know, a real taskmaster. I mean, he knew what he wanted out of a backing band, and and they, of course, they had been working on his music for some time, but they knew how to de- how to deliver that. You know, so when he right. would give them a direction, it didn't take long for them to just snap into line and and to uh, to give him what he wanted. So it was, and I I was just sitting like behind an amp, so I was totally out of the way and <laughs> listening and and observing. And, you know, it's just, it was a fascinating time. And, and, you know, uh, some of those shows that those guys did together were some of the best things I've ever, I've ever seen. Back with Dan after a minute, DaleWileyShow.com. Do you love music? Do you know about the musical map of Missouri? Dallas Wayne, Chuck Berry, Dave Alvin, Robbie Folks, The Skeletons, The Ozark Mountain Daredevils, Uncle Tupelo, Wayne Carson, Nellie, Lou Whitney, Symptoms Morales, In City, Jeff City, St. Louis, St. Joe, Columbia, Buckle of the Bible Belt, the Studio on South Avenue in Springfield, 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 Missouri. Add the Missouri Music Podcast to your list of favorites. Lawyer, author, and Slewfoot Records label owner Dale Wiley takes you on a musical trip around Missouri while raising funds for Musical Map of Missouri, a nonprofit organization which will help ensure Missouri musicians affected by COVID-19. Visit MissouriMusicPodcast.com for more information. Tune in to the Missouri Music Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. More with Dan at Right. Well, you know, let me just say on for a minute because there was a night that you came out of Springfield and 
you were at the, the studio and you came in and talked to me. And tell me about that and what you told me about Neil Young. Oh, <laughs> so when would this have been? Because I, I know what you're talking about. But um, well, first of all, let me let me fill in a couple other things uh, right. sure. b- because uh, I don't want to give people the impression that uh, I only worked until 1992 <laughs> and that I've been that I've been yeah. unemployed ever since then. Right. Um, because because from the Riverfront Times, I went on to uh, a magazine in Minneapolis called Request, and right. it was a national music magazine. But it was it was uh, started kind of as an in-store magazine by the Musicland and Sam Goody company. Right. So you could get it in the stores. And right when I went to work for them, they were also um, kind of making the effort to go on, on national newsstands as well. You know, it, it, it was, I don't know, it didn't work out that well, but it, it lasted for, you know, maybe about a year, maybe two years, right. I can't remember, uh, that they made the newsstand push. But then they still were available in the stores. And then also during that time, um, they split off another magazine called Replay, and I was right. the editor of, uh, of Replay. And, uh, and so I was, I was in Minneapolis till uh, 97 when uh-huh. I came back home and I've uh, I've freelanced ever since then. I had a brief stint when uh, when SEL Today, which is the online version of the St. Louis Post Dispatch, right. uh, that was like a separate entity for a while um, in like uh, 2000 and I think till about 2002. And I was right. the entertainment editor there for a while. But otherwise, I've just been a freelance writer, and I've written several books. Uh, one of them, and now I'll get back to your question. One of them is about Neil Young. It's called it's called Neil Young Long May You Run, the Illustrated right. History. Kind of a large format book, a lot of photos, and uh and my friend uh and longtime collaborator Gary Graff, a uh, right. great uh, journalist from Detroit. Um we've we've written uh, several books and uh and so we did that one about Neil Young. And so um I mean I Neil is been a favorite of mine for a, a very long time um and so when it came time to do that book i mean it just you know kind of uh like poured out of me because i was just i was loaded for bear i mean i was ready to write write that book um sure. and so now to answer your question one of the things i happen <laughs> to know about neil was that he loved uh ronnie self the right. uh the the rockabilly uh, singer that uh, I know Lloyd and and Lou had associations with yeah. um, in Springfield, and uh, yeah, kind of like a great, one of the great, maybe more more uh, obscure, I guess, of the of the rockabilly wild men, you know. Right. But uh, but he was known for for a certain number of things. Anyway, Neil was a huge fan, and yeah. uh, and so apparently when you guys met, I'll let you pick it up from there. Oh, you know. The deal is, I guess probably that was 2002 or 2003 because the same night you told me about Nadine, and I just loved that album. That's such a good album. still is. Mm-hmm. But that night, about five years later, I was at the Farm Aid in New York, and I met Neil Young. And I went by there, and I don't like to say anything unless I've got something to say. And I went to him, and I just said, I hear you're a Ronnie Self fan. And he turned around. He was just like a kid. And he absolutely looked at me and he said, Ronnie Self smashed a lot of radios. He's like, he, he just smashed it. And it was so fun because I caught him 
there was nothing better I could have said. It was it was just such a moment that I share with Neil, and that he moved on his way, and just he really was just so caught up in being a fan of the music at that moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, it's uh, it's important to remember that uh, guys like that are, are fans too, and uh, big you, fans. I mean, you, it's not that apparent in his own music that he would that he would love Ronnie Self, but. Um, right. You know, I guess that was just one of one of his formative uh, influences, and uh, yeah, so that uh, that's cool. I'm glad I'm glad somebody was able to use that that information because <laughs> despite despite having written a book about him, I've only actually I guess I've been in his vicinity. I mean, I've seen him many many times, of course, um, but I only actually got near him once at a at a farm aid concert. Uh, gosh, this must have been back in the early '90s in Indianapolis at a at a press conference, and we didn't really. I, we might have exchanged a few words, but I didn't. I, I wasn't fast enough on. The, well, in fact, I wouldn't have known about the Ronnie Self thing at that time. But right. um, but yeah. So uh, so yeah, I'm glad I'm glad somebody got to use that. <laughs> well, I did use it, and it was very cool. And you know, I just it's just funny how that stuff kind of comes down. But you know. The other thing is you had some run-ins with Dean Binderman asked me about these. So first of all, tell me about the report experience. I'm sorry, the what? The Guns N' Roses River experience. Oh, okay. Sorry, man. We're still struggling here with the phone. I don't know what's going on. It's it's these sunspots we're having, you know? (laughs) Yes. I'm serious. That's what's going on right now. Anyway, Guns N' Roses. Well, this once again, this dates back to uh, uh, my Riverfront Times days right. when uh, Guns N' Roses played at Riverport in 1991. I believe I think it was July 2nd, maybe, uh, 1991. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, that was the night that the big riot erupted. Right. And this is one of those things. I, there's, like, been a couple of times in my career where I've been fortunate enough to just be in a spot and then sort of have the presence of mind to, you know, act in a, in a proper way, I guess, as a journalist. Right. Um, and, and so like when, you know, the, the thing is it, there was just a weird feeling in the air that night that something was going to happen. Really? And yeah, it just, I don't know there was like this, just kind of a negative vibe. I, I felt like about the whole concert. And and so then when things went sideways, I mean, for the it's a long time ago now, so a lot of people listening to this might not know that what happened was back then. Uh, here's the other thing that's funny. Back then, you know, uh, people got upset, bands got upset, uh, and they would have ushers confiscate, you know, right. uh, cameras and recording equipment. <laughs> well, now, you know, a lot of bands will allow taping, and, and you know, that's cool. And now, of course, everybody's got a camera on their phone, but of course right. that wasn't the case then. So uh-huh. people would smuggle in like little Instamatic cameras and take, <laughs> you know, crappy pictures from, you know, 400 feet away, and yeah. somehow that that upset the bands. I know, you know, I know the flashes would be disconcerting, disconcerting, and everything. Sure, but nevertheless, um, so you know, this guy in the front row uh, who turned out to be the leader of a motorcycle gang, okay. uh, you know, upset, upset Axel, and Axel dives into the audience and starts a fight and then decides to leave, leave the stage after they pulled him back out. 
and uh and so you know uh and it was so weird so like so unsure as to what's going to happen are they going to come back are they not going to you know like the, the light stayed down for a while and i can't i can't like bring to mind the whole experience but just uh it was just so weird I, I, like nobody knew what was going to happen and then eventually you know kind of violence broke out and people started storming the stage and pulling equipment right. off the stage and you know the cops showed up and Anyway, you know, I think most people's natural instinct would be, "Oh, it's a riot. Let's get the hell out of here." Um, but but I but hung in. And the other weird thing was, I was not reviewing that show, but I just happened to bring along, uh, you know, uh, a notebook and uh, and a pen. And I, I, you know, I was never a Boy Scout, but I mean, I do believe in being prepared, as they right. say. Definitely. So, uh, so you know, I so I had the equipment to go around and start interviewing people, you know, as to what they saw. Uh, I remember I went back in the into the sound booth, and uh, the the sound engineer, who's or not just the engineer, but the guy who owned the equipment, it turned out, right. <laughs> whose who's whose uh, sound gear was about to get destroyed. Um, yeah, I, I talked to him, and I just it was one of those nights where I just felt like I was in the right place. At the right time, I, I went outside. I went outside the venue for a few minutes, and there was a line of cops out there. And one of them was was like tapping his hand, his uh, baton into his hand. And he and I heard him say uh, to another cop, he said, "Good thing I watched my LAPD training video last night." Right. And what he, what he again for those with long memories, what he was referring to was the Rodney King beating. Right. And I looked at my colleague Thomas Crone, who uh, another Riverfront Times reporter who endured this with me, and in fact got a got a baton in the kidneys for his efforts. Um, I, I looked at him and I said, "Did you just hear what I just heard?" And he said, "Yep." And it went into the <laughs> notebook. And um, anyway, uh, and actually, here's a good story from uh, like a week or so after that, after after my story was published. I was on one of those when they used to have Sunday morning, like uh, uh, you know, public affairs shows on local TV. Uh, Don Marsh had me on KTVI, and the, the, so the guests that day were uh, Mayor Vince Shamel, uh for like probably you know most of the show, probably ninety percent of the show, and then me for like ten percent of the show right at the end, and in between. So he, he interviewed Shamel. And then he brings him over, and, and he introduces him to me. Oh, uh, uh, Mayor Shamel, this is uh, reporter Dan Durkles. He was in that riot. <laughs> and um, and Shamel looks at me, and he, he said, uh, well, that must have been something, huh? And I said, well, it wasn't, it, I said, it wasn't that bad until the cops went nuts. Right. And he actually did this. He actually made like grabbed his tie like Rodney Dangerfield, and he was like, oh, he's like, oh, oh I got to get out of here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so he he didn't want to discuss that. So uh so he so he got the hell out of there. Uh so anyway, yeah, I mean I still I still refer to it as the weirdest night of my life. And uh and you know, twenty some what, almost almost thirty years later I guess, I don't know. I can't I can't do math that fast. But um it's it's still the weirdest night of my life, no question. <laughs> Well, then we also need to mention your review of B.B. King. And oh, gosh. What a All my greatest hits here. 
What's that? Say again? The review of B.B. King. Well, uh, yeah, so this was another thing that, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, here's the thing. When you're a critic, I mean, uh, and, and a reporter, you gotta you gotta say what happened, you know. You gotta. Right. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people are in this game, you know, for the free stuff, um, right. for all the wrong reasons. They they want to, you know, they want to meet their heroes. Uh, they I don't know, I, I don't know what their motivations are, but I mean, mine have just always been, and you know, I'm not setting myself up to be, you know, some. Uh, uh, like a like a great example of of a of a reporter. I'm just a you know guy who does what he does. But right. But I but I take the job seriously. I guess is my point. Um, right. And uh, and so the particular night that it was it was really towards the end of his career. Um, and and you know and I mean BB King has got he doesn't have to prove anything to me. I mean I've, I've interviewed a guy and it was one of the great uh, honors of my right. life to talk to that. I mean. You know, among the people that I really love talking to the most, and I mean, I've interviewed, you know, many, many great stars over the years, but people like King, who've, I mean, who faced absolute, uh, just the worst possible conditions and and racism and violence, and, uh, you know, Mavis Staples is another one. I I mean, I, I really cherish those minutes even if they're on the phone uh, you know sometimes i get to meet these folks in person a lot of times i just do it on the phone sure. uh but just to uh, ray charles you know i mean just to spend a few minutes with people who fought such an incredible fight for for their careers and for their lives i mean it's such a, a privilege uh, but at the same time um you know the the job is uh, when you're when you're writing about their concerts is to uh, talk about what went down. And in this particular case, it was just one of, like, it was a terrible night for, for him. Right. Um, and, uh, and you know, he, he clearly at that point had just kind of lost the thread. And, uh, and my report about that, which is, I mean, I've got it on my website. I think it's probably still on Post-Dispatch website. You know, I thought it was a, was a fair review uh, just of, and, and what I was trying to point out was not so much that he had let me down, but I thought the people around him had let him down. And I think this became kind of a point of discussion afterwards uh, that, uh, that you know, maybe some people were, you know, whoever had held the purse strings were just continuing to trot out there at a right. point where that should not be the case anymore. And I right. noticed for instance, I wrote in the review that, like, his band just kind of let him twist in the wind. You know, I mean, he, uh, when he had lost the thread, they just they just let him sit there. Like, nobody would sort of prompt him and uh, and tell him what to do. And it was, I don't know, it's just one of the most unfortunate things I'd ever seen. What I did not anticipate was the way it would play out after I wrote the review, which is, Right. A lot of people got really angry at me right. uh, for for simply telling the truth, and and then the other weird thing was, now, a lot of people you know were kind of yelling at him, you know, like just saying play the blues or whatever, and some people right. were booing as well, and and the weird thing is, is the way like journalists played telephone with 
with the story because eventually, eventually down the line, you would, and it literally went around the world. I mean, I saw headlines from like publications in the Philippines, you know, or uh, all over the place, and and the and the headline became BB King booed off the stage. Well, I mean, that's it's not really true. I mean, that's and it's not what I wrote, and I was. I, w- I think I was appalled by that more than anything, you know, but I think a lot of people just had a knee-jerk reaction is like, how dare you, who the hell are you, right? you know, to say anything negative about B.B. King, and I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's the gig when, when circumstances yeah. demand, and so it was just a weird, you know, it was a weird night. I mean, I don't like, I don't like, you know, making people mad to that degree, but right. at the same time, you just got to go, well, that, that's the way it is. Um, so yeah, so yeah, another another really weird night in in a you know, a long a long and checkered career. Well, definitely, and you know that's the stuff. And so tell me, like, what's you know where I'm at now with to bring the music community around with this musical map kind of concept. And so, what are a few or a few things that you mentioned about music in Missouri? Um, music in Missouri, you know, um, the, the weird thing is, is that most of what I've done over the years, I mean, it hasn't really been, um, as directed towards Missouri as I would like. I mean, like, for instance, it's never been my beat to like write about, about St. Louis bands necessarily. Um, but, um, and so, and so, I, you know, I usually have dealt with uh, people on like on a national level. Um, but one thing I've been talking about lately is just, and and this is true of especially St. Louis because that's what I'm what I'm familiar with. Right. Is how you know how impressive the audience is for. I mean, we've always had great musicians coming from St. Louis. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, whether it's the people everybody know, you know, uh, Chuck Berry and Ike Turner and Johnny Johnson and uh, Miles Davis and and folks like that. Um, But especially in recent years, you look at a place like the pageant that has continually been one of the top venues in the world uh, because people turn out night in and night out. And, um, and, you know, and that, I mean, that's incredible for a, for a city the size of St. Louis to have uh, dedicated fans that turn out on a regular basis for everybody, like across the board in, in terms of uh, different musical genres, that that to me, uh, I mean, it makes me really glad to be in a city like this um, and a state like this too, because I, I mean, it's, you know, it's things like that are I'm sure they're they're true of Kansas City and Springfield and Columbia and uh, you know, great uh, great venues across the state. I, I've always been fond of of Blue Note, and um, I don't really know that many places in Springfield, actually. But uh, um, but anyway, uh, so I mean, there's a really receptive, um, be, you know, uh, base of listeners here. So right. I think that uh, that a lot of bands that want to you know try different things and get out there and play. I mean, I, I just think there's a lot of opportunity for that. And uh, you know, this year has just been been so hard on the venues. I, I hope they're able to. Uh, that everybody's able to make it through, especially the smaller independent venues that are uh, are struggling right now because no, you know, they can't open up, and uh, I just can't wait till till we can get back to it. 
Um, yeah. I've kind of I've kind of strayed from your question here. I'm sorry. If you want to oh, if you want great. if you want to redirect your, uh, you know. <laughs> no, I love that. And so you know, I just think that I want to get you on the podcast. I'm so glad we did. Yeah, well, uh, you know, great to talk to you. And uh, as you can tell, I can uh, I can go on for for quite some time about nothing in particular. So, uh, so I hope I answered your question. No, you did. Sorry and about the bad connection. I I don't know what to say about that, but I I think honestly, Sunspot. <laughs> Where can they find you online? Well, I do uh, I do have a website, uh, and it's just uh, Daniel Durkles. That last name is spelled D U R C H H. O-L-Z, uh, DanielDurkles.com. It's a website, and you'll see that it desperately, desperately needs to be updated. Um, (laughs) But uh, I will get to that one of these days. You'd think I would have time right Right. now when nothing else is going on. (laughs) But, yeah, uh, uh, that would be the first and foremost. And a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of my stuff is archived um, at at the Post-Dispatch website. And uh, various places, you know, all over. If you just uh, Google my name, you'll you'll see uh, all kinds of stuff. And then, you know, the books. Uh, I think a couple of them are still available uh, on Amazon. It, it's getting a little, little while since they've been out, but uh, uh, you know, they're still available. Probably for like you know pennies on the dollar at on eBay. <laughs> well, any new projects? Any future books? You know, nothing going on right now. Uh, just hoping to get back to, back to work on a regular basis. Uh, you know, no books are in the pipeline or anything like that. But uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the new year and hopefully some open venues and uh, more opportunities to write. Well, that's great, and thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, Dale. DaleWileyShow.com.